This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Let's look at our second reading today. It'll be 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. It reads, I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. It is such an honor to be here with you today. Um, I, I love the history of your congregation and of your church, and, and I'm sure that's something that you are all very well aware of being part of the church at Old South, how, how long this church has um, endured and been a testimony and a testament to God's providence and care through generation after generation and the impact that Old South has had not only in its community but on the nation and around the world. So it's a beautiful privilege to get to share with you today and to be um, in this congregation despite what's going on with the weather and the hurricane and or the tropical storm. Um, it's still a beautiful privilege to be here. So I just want to say thank you to Kara, to the elders who have given me this opportunity to, to be with you today. And as I've kind of uh, mentioned, the legacy that Old South has is a beautiful one. And I think it's something that, that should be celebrated. Um, and that's also what I wanted to speak about today was the idea of legacy, but not just the corporate legacy that you share as a congregation, but the legacy that you and I as individuals um, have received and the legacy that we also leave behind us. You see, the faith that we have, as much as it's an individualistic faith and, and we have our own personal faith, our, our um, relationship with the Lord and, and how God has moved in our lives, we have this beautiful faith, but it's not simply an individualistic thing. Faith is so much bigger than you and I. And it, it does, it shapes us, it molds us, it grows us. It draws us closer to Christ. It, it, it makes us more like Christ. But at the same time, it's not something original to us. It's something that we've received. And in some ways, it's an ancient faith. It goes back through thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And you and I are recipients. And in a way, we are guardians or um, we are managers or um, we've been entrusted with this beautiful gift of faith. And it's something that we've received, but it's also something that we are supposed to leave behind. This faith takes root in us and it bears fruit and that fruit shapes us and it changes us. And if we, if we are stewards of it, it can shape and change the world around us as well. And that legacy that we have the potential to leave today is something that I really want to share and speak about with you. And in our second reading in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we actually get to see that idea, that concept at work, that idea of, of a legacy being passed from one generation to the next, this faith being passed down from the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy. And in these few words, these few verses, we actually get to see a picture of a relationship. We get to see an apostle and his disciple 
We see a teacher, his student. We also get to see a father and his spiritual son. And in these words, we can hear the love. We can feel the concern that Paul has, not just for the church at Ephesus, but also for the individual, for his son, for, for Timothy, this beloved disciple of his. And we get to see how Paul is basically passing this legacy of his faith on to the next generation. And as we look a little closer at the passage today, I want to invite you to consider a question with me. I want you to think about your own walk and your own journey, your own faith journey, and ask yourself this question, who is it that's poured into my life? Who has given me a legacy of faith? You see, Paul wrote this letter, this epistle from a Roman prison cell, and it was very likely the very last epistle that Paul was ever to write. So we have the Apostle Paul at the end of his life, and he knows that soon he may be called upon to give his life for Christ, and he knows that his time is running short. And so he takes the time to write this epistle, and to me, knowing that these were likely some of the last words of Paul, um, it lends an urgency to this letter, um, an importance that we should really stop and take notice of. What are the final things that Paul wants to leave behind him as he prepares to leave this earth? You know, in the book of Acts, if we, I love that your, your church is studying the book of Acts right now because it's such a powerful picture of what God did in the world. And in chapter 16, we actually see how um, Paul took Timothy under his wing. He and Silas were on a missionary journey and they, count, they come across Timothy, this, this young man, this, this man who has a, a deep and sincere faith and Paul sees something in him. So he invites him to come with him on this missionary journey. And in that moment, it began a 20 year mentorship, a 20 year relationship between an apostle and a disciple. And we see that at work here in our passage today. In fact, if we go back a few verses in verse two, Paul addresses Timothy as his son. And the Greek word that he uses there is technon. Now in Greek, there's so many different ways that someone could distinguish a child or a son. There's a lot of different words for it, but technon has this connotation that goes back beyond. It's, it's like a seed or a descendant. It's someone who receives an inheritance. It's someone who carries on a legacy. So when Paul um, talks to Timothy as his technon, he's, he's literally saying, you are my heir. You are the one who will receive what I have. And we see that word used a lot in the New Testament to talk about the nation of Israel, the seed of Israel. But we also see it being used many times uh, uh, from a teacher talking about his pupils or his students. And the idea is that this teacher has shaped and molded the character of this person to a degree that he actually views them as one of his own children. And so we see that love here and that endearment that um, joy that, that Paul has in Timothy as if he is his own son. So then the question becomes, what was Paul's role in Timothy's life? In verse three, we start to see that relationship take shape. He says, I am grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. You see, Timothy's life had been so transformed by the gospel. He had become so um, changed and so radically altered that Paul could not help but give thanks at the very thought of Timothy. Every time Timothy came to his mind, he was grateful and he was thankful. He celebrated 
who Timothy was. And the, the apostle also reveals that he prays constantly for him. And that is such an, a beautiful picture because he says he's praying day and night. So it's not just a quick little one-off prayer. Hey, God, would you just bless Timothy? No, no. The, the apostle is with tears. He's, he's interceding for this young man. He's praying constantly for this disciple of his. So no matter how many years have passed, no matter how much the distance is between them and how long it's been since he's seen him, he's constantly interceding on behalf of Timothy. And in the next verse, Paul goes on to encourage and build up Timothy by telling him how much joy he brings the apostle. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And in verse five, Paul affirms Timothy by reminding him that he's a recipient of a faith that was first passed on to him by his mother and grandmother. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois, Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. This sincere faith, as Paul describes it, it's alive and it's active in the young man's life. Yes, it's an ancient faith but it's personal to Timothy. It's something that he's embodied. It's something that's changed who he is. Um, we, also, we see here that the, the apostle or the disciple Timothy is not just impacted by the apostle, but that he's actually been um, discipled by his own mother and grandmother, that this legacy of faith that he's received began far beyond his own life. And I think in the same way that you and I often have multiple people over the course of our life who just pour into us, who become disciples of us. And then next, Paul goes on to offer a challenge. In verse six, he says, for this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of thy hands. So Paul is saying to rekindle the gift of God that has been deposited. Now, the gift that Paul is referring to is not just his faith, but he's calling him to rekindle the ministry or the passion, the calling, the gift that God has given him. Now, we don't know why Paul necessarily felt the need here to offer this challenge to Timothy, why he's telling him to rekindle. Because that idea is you've ever been at by a campfire and it slowly starts to burn out and pretty soon there's no flame. Sometimes you've got to take a stick. I'm from Colorado, so I, you know, I'm used to campfires. So you take a stick and you start to stir up the ashes and maybe you blow on it a little bit and maybe add some more um, kindling. And pretty soon that flame comes roaring back to life. And that's exactly what Paul's instructing Timothy to do here. He's saying, rekindle that gift, rekindle that passion that God has placed in you. And we don't know why. Um, perhaps Timothy, this young pastor, he's the pastor of the Ephesian church. Perhaps he's encountered some, some difficult times. Perhaps he's discouraged. Perhaps he's just very weary. We know that later in 2 Timothy, Paul will go on to talk to Timothy about um, what to do with heresy, what to do with false teachers in the church, and how to handle persecution. So it would appear that not all was well at Ephesus, that there were some severe challenges that Timothy was facing. And so the apostle is coming alongside him, and he's saying, look, I know it's hard. I know you're discouraged. And I, I know that you feel like the light in you has gone out, but it's still there. And I want you to rekindle that gift. It's still there. And I think for us, the implication is clear. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that it's not always easy. 
that sometimes it's really hard even to pray. We go through different seasons of our lives and some of those seasons are hard and they're dry and it's easy to get weary. It's easy to get tired and, and um, to become discouraged. But I wanna remind you today that that gift that God has placed in you, it's still there. And sometimes we have to rekindle it and we have to fan it back into a flame. And, and those moments, those discouraging moments, just like Timothy, we have the challenge from Paul to rekindle. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just challenge Timothy. He goes on to inspire him. In verse seven, he says, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. What I love here is that Paul is saying, yes, you have a burden, Timothy, but God has given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. It's a reminder that when God calls us to things and he gives us challenges, that we can't do it in our own strength. We were never meant to. That's why he gave us an advocate. That's why he gave us a helper, someone to come alongside us, to inspire us and to remind us who we are. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's reminding Timothy of his identity in Christ. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And then um, he just, he takes the time to remind Timothy that the Holy Spirit is there to embolden him, to strengthen him and to encourage him. Now for a moment, I would like for you to imagine that in this scenario of Paul and Timothy, I want you to put yourself in the place of Timothy. Who has been the Paul in your life? Who has been the person that God has given you to pour into you, to teach you the ways of faith, but also to encourage you, to strengthen you? Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it's a neighbor or a friend, a parent maybe. Um, maybe it was a grandparents or like Timothy, maybe you had a mother, a grandmother, a pastor, an apostle. Maybe there were multiple people in your life that God brought in to pour into you. Can you look back on the generations of your life and see a legacy of faith that was faithfully transmitted from one generation to the next? Psalms 145.4 says that... Um, that we are to tell the, the mighty acts of God in our lives to the next generation. But maybe you came to faith later in life. Maybe you grew up in a family that wasn't a Christian family. Maybe you didn't have a mother or a grandfather or a father there to share their faith with you. But Paul, but God, God was faithful enough and he brought a Paul into your life. Maybe somebody who wasn't related to you by flesh and blood, but that took the time to mentor you, to love you, to disciple you. They weren't related to you by blood, but they were still like a father or a mother to you. Now, I was very fortunate to grow up in a Christian home. Um, and I was fortunate to have a family of like, like a legacy of, of believers who passed their faith from one generation to the next. Now, my grandma was one of my, my pals and she was such a lovely woman. She's such a woman of faith. And she was born in the 1920s on a, a little tiny, like a little tiny cabin on a homestead far in the mountains of Colorado. If you've ever heard of, of a place called Telluride, it's a ski destination now. But back in that day, it was a tiny little uh, mining town and it was very remote. And that's where my grandma was born, about 20 miles outside of town on this tiny little um, 
in this tiny little one room cabin. She was the oldest of eight kids. And my great grandparents, they didn't have a lot. They were poor, they were farmers. But what they did have was a sincere and deep faith. They were part of the early holiness movement and they just really, really loved the Lord. And they raised their kids to love the Lord. And so um, when I was young, I had this grandmother who just loved me and she just poured into me. And the one thing that she would really do is she would intercede for me and for, for the entire family, for everybody that God had brought into her life. She was a spiritual mother to so many. And I remember at the end of her life, her body had started to fail her and she was, she had heart disease and she was, she was getting really weary and it had become her prayer. God, I don't want to linger in this life, but when it's my time, I just want you to take me home. And one day we had been staying, my mom and I had been staying with her because she, she'd been ill and she woke up one day and she said, today's the day. Today is the day that I'm going to go home to be with the Lord. And we were kind of shocked by that. We said, grandma, no, please we're not ready. And she said, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. And so we gathered and we prayed with her and she had a large, we have a large extended family. And so we started to call the family and let them know grandma says today's the day. And that, that day grandma sat in her armchair and she was really weak, but we, we waited as family and we probably had between 40 and 60 family members that would just stop by the house to come and just spend some time with grandma, say their goodbyes. And, and she just sat there enjoying the, the, um, just the gathering of her family around her, spending a last few minutes with her saying goodbyes. And, that, and then that evening, after everybody had kind of left and, and, and faded away, around midnight, the only people left were my parents, my, grand, or my aunt and uncle, and myself. And we were just kind of waiting with grandma. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And she'd been mostly sleeping all day, but I remember as she sat in her armchair, all of a sudden started to pray. And it was really quiet at first. And she started to pray through every person in the family. She prayed for me, she prayed for my siblings, she prayed for my cousins, she prayed for my aunts and uncles, she prayed for her siblings. She started to pray and as she prayed, her, her strength, strength started to come back, her voice grew stronger. And she had just started to intercede, not just for her family, but for every spiritual son and daughter she had, for the church, for pastors. And she just grabbed hold of the altar of heaven and she just prayed and she prayed. And we just kind of sat there in awe and watched it happen. And by the time grandma had finished praying for everybody, she just slipped away into eternity, just like that. She just went to be with the Lord. And I'll never forget that moment because it was one of the most glorious and beautiful and awe-inspiring moments of my life. There was such a peace in that room. There was such, there wasn't sorrow. It was, it, we knew that, that God had visited us. And that grandma had been so faithful to the Lord that even in her last moments, God was faithful to her. And in that moment, she gave a gift that was so much better than, um, than a financial inheritance or material possessions. But she used her last few moments on this earth to pray for us. And I will never, ever take that heritage for granted. Such a beautiful moment in her last few moments, she loved us enough to pray for us. Grandma was one of my Pauls. So I wanna ask you today, who is your Paul? 
Who are the people that God has allowed to pour into you? And I encourage you today that as you think about these people and God brings them to your mind, maybe you had a grandma who prayed. I want you to, to take a moment today and just give thanks for them. Celebrate the fact that God gave you a Paul. And if those people are still with you today, if you have the opportunity, I also encourage you this week as you think about them to write them a note, send them an email, a text, maybe pick up the phone and give them a call and thank them for the impact that they've had on your life. Don't take that for granted because it's a beautiful and precious gift. And maybe today you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I don't have anybody like that. I don't have someone that, that just pours into me like that. Well, I wanna encourage you today that if that's you, that you make it a matter of sincere prayer that God would bring a mentor into your life, a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad who can just pour into you and help you grow in your faith. And two, be on the lookout for people that you admire their relationship with God and maybe ask them if they'd be interested in investing in you. But now that we've considered this first question, who has poured into my life? Who is my Paul? I want us to consider another. Who is your Timothy? Who is my Timothy? Who has God given me to pour into? You know, in verse three of this passage, Paul mentions that he worships God as his ancestors did. And in that moment, he's revealing that this faith that he has, he knows he's just a steward of. He knows that it goes far beyond him into thousands and thousands of years to those who've gone before him. And just like Paul was a recipient of faith, he's poured now into Timothy. And, and it's clear that the implication is Timothy, in turn, is supposed to pour it out into someone else. In fact, that's how God designed it. If you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, then you know that Israel's ability to stay faithful to God was inconsistent at best. But God's design all along was for one, one faithful generation to pour faithfully into the next generation so that they too could be a generation of faith and that they would in turn instill that in the next generation. Um, and that's why we see in our, our earlier reading in Joshua, we see that um, as they were getting to in, ready to enter into the promised land, to the, the inheritance that God had for them, Joshua instructed the Israelites to pick up stones. And then they built an altar. They built a monument on the other side of the Jordan. The intention of that was so that whenever an Israelite would pass that place, they would be reminded, physically reminded of what God had done. And in that moment, when they were traveling with their children, they were supposed to turn around and say, this is what God did in this place. This is how God was faithful to his people. This is how God brought us into the promised land. And through that act, they would be pouring that faith into the next generation. But unfortunately, Israel struggled with this. Even the very next generation after Joshua, we read in Judges 2 that the very next generation that rose up didn't know the Lord. And because of that, they turned to idolatry, they turned to sin, and as a result, they were um, totally in chaos, they were in war, they were in heartache and pain, and God would have to raise up a deliverer for them. For a little while, Israel would be focused on the Lord again, 
and another generation would raise up and they would be unfaithful to, to, to hand the faith over and chaos would ensue again, sin, idolatry. It was this vicious cycle because they were unfaithful in preserving their faith. And we know that that's not God's will. And we know that when you and I, then if, if we are not faithful in transmitting this faith, we fail. And we set up the following generations for chaos, for pain, for heartache, if they don't know the Lord. So it's not enough then for us to just have a Paul in our life, to have someone who pours into us. We in turn have to pour into the next generation. And if we don't, that generation will lose out. If you're a parent or a grandparent today, you carry a sacred and holy burden of making sure that your faith is faithfully taught to the next generation. But even if you aren't a parent, maybe you're a student, maybe you're like me and you don't have kids, you still carry that burden. Because in Matthew 28, we are all offered a, a great commission. We are all given the command to go into the world and make disciples. So it doesn't matter if you're a pastor it doesn't matter if you're a parent. It doesn't matter if you're retired, middle-aged, if you're a student, if you're a young mom. It doesn't matter. You are called to make disciples. Wherever you go, you are called to influence the people around you with your faith, to pour into them, to encourage them. So the question is, who is your Timothy? Ask yourself these questions. Who can I encourage? Who can I pray for? Who can I affirm and build up? Who can I inspire? Who can I pull gifts out of? If you don't have someone like that, you need to find someone. See, this faith that you have, that you carry, it's not your own. You have been entrusted with a precious gift. This faith if you will allow it to, if we allow it to, it will take root in our hearts and it will bear fruit and it will change not only our lives, but it can affect and change the world around us. Just as Tim, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in verse seven, he said, for God did not give us a, a spirit of, of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and self-discipline. You then, as a bearer of this faith, have also been given the spirit of power love, and self-discipline. The same spirit that enables us to make disciples lives in you. We are meant to leave a legacy of faith for those who follow us. And Paul made this clear to Timothy, even as he was encouraging him to rekindle the gift of God in his life. In 2 Timothy 1.14, Paul actually writes to him as well, to guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. You see, you and I, we're going to eventually die. We will leave this world behind. But the treasure of faith that we, we have now can be the greatest legacy that we leave behind. So I want to ask you today, are you leaving a legacy of faith for those who come after you? And if it's okay, I'd just like to take a moment really fast and, and pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much that we are recipients of such a holy and sacred faith, God, that we are we are in a long line of people who have gone before us. As, as Hebrews talks about, Lord, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. So God, I pray that we would be um, stewards of this faith, God, that we would be intentional with, with discipling and mentoring others, God. And I thank you, Lord, 
that you have given us people to pour into us. We ask God that we would be faithful in pouring it back out. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.